Hello and welcome to a rational episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are entering episode 3 of the socially obligated Halloween trilogy with 2003's Gothica. But before we do, let's go ahead and check in on the shop. All right, right this way, right this way. Watch your step. Is the blindfold really necessary? Like, what's this all about? Look, I don't want to spoil the surprise, amigo, but suffice to say you were right about Murphy in the shop across the street. Right about what? Just one more corner here. Watch your step. Watch your step. Okay, go ahead and take off the blindfold. Okay, what are all of these boxes? Yeah, no, you have to get in close. Take a look at the labels. They're all full of brake pads. You were right. Murphy's been stealing them in mass, and that's why we can't find any inventory. Murphy is stealing them all, and they can undercut us on the price for brake jobs. Okay, but why the hell are they in our shop? Well, I mean, I wanted to make sure that we had the evidence before Sheriff Ryan gets here. Sheriff Ryan? Isn't he best friends with Murphy? Oh, God, what have you done? Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that part, but relax, relax. I didn't want to give Murphy a chance to move the goods, so I moved him here for safekeeping. Safekeeping? You brought stolen goods into our shop and called the police. Eh, when you put it that way... And who do you think they're going to accuse of stealing the brakes? I just figured that it would be... What, 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 what? That it would be like murdering he... someone to try and break in a murder case? Well, yeah, like, when you put it that way, like I said, I... Just stop, just stop. Just start loading the shit back into the flatbed. We're gonna go ahead and review Gothica on the way. An expert psychiatrist finds herself trying to escape the very institution that once employed her. Unable to cope with the revelation that she murdered her husband and having no recollection of the brutal crime, Miranda must seek the truth while fighting off the supernatural forces haunting her. Will cooler heads prevail, or will she jump into the deep end with both feet and conclude that logic is overrated? Alrighty, Travis. We're gonna get into our five-point inspection in just a minute with This Movie Needs Balls, Logic is Overrated, What's in a Name, Perpetua, and Behind Blue Eyes. But before we do, I'd love to get a quick diagnostic from you. Well, before we get into the movie, I a little inside baseball. I'm disappointed because I, I do write the openings every week. I wrote this week's, and on the way home, I realized that I should have just tried to write an opening where I insert as many Limp Biscuit song titles as possible. <laughs> you know, what just what what are we rolling into the shop today? I gotta leave and get some Nookie. Mm. If you won't let me, I'm gonna break stuff, etc. Uh, because all I remember about this movie is "Behind Blue Eyes" by Limp Biscuit, uh, and I don't think I realized that it uh, had as many A-list actors in it. Uh, that being said, I don't like horror, um, so I'm predisposed to kind of dislike this, but I'll, I'll save the details for later. What about you? Um, so funny you bring up Fred Durst, because 
uh, currently residing in Jacksonville, Jacksonville native. Many of his songs actually have Jacksonville landmarks in them. So when he says bring it to the Matthews Bridge, that is actually a bridge in Jacksonville. So just a little, little, you know, side note here uh, for the for the listeners. But um, so when we picked out this movie, we knew that we wanted to do a horror trilogy. We both picked one of our favorite horror movies of all time. I picked The Shining, which we both have an appreciation for. You picked It Follows, which, you know, I have an appreciation for. And we were looking for something that would contrast that. And we came to Gothica. Um, and part of the reason was because of the A-list. This was right at about the time where it seemed like Robert Downey Jr. was making his rebound into Hollywood. Like, he had already gone through all of his, you know, drug craze and all that. And he was, this was before Iron Man. This is him trying to to make it back into Hollywood. But I also did it because I thought I remembered this movie. Um, and I didn't, Travis. I remember the movie Dark Water, which is equally as terrible <laughs> um so i actually got to watch this movie for the first time <laughs> uh, no, i think that's the same for both of us i just knew that i hadn't seen it um but i just remember hearing that fucking song every time i cleaned the theater yeah well that was because that we and i don't know maybe movies still do this and it's just because uh, you know this is when we clean theaters but i feel like that you know that mid 2000 um and maybe even probably before that, it was notorious. Movies were notorious for just having like the soundtrack, like the in credit song was very important. And it was always something that like would be, I, I don't know if like it was right about the time that like these new jobs were like, you know, you started having like the, the MySpaces and stuff like that were like actually curating music was a lot more than just having a, a studio head say, we want this song because you started getting a lot more different songs at the end like in credits for movies in like the the early to mid 2000s and i think this is a, a great example of that um because we'll get into it later but I, I definitely think the song choice was interesting with behind blue eyes yeah and that being said this was the second movie limp biscuit had a uh, awesome well not awesome but a song for on the soundtrack if you go back to mission impossible 2 just a couple years before this so oh, yeah, yeah bolstering your point yep so with that said let's jump into five point inspection um you know again inside baseball just for the listeners whenever we come up with the five point inspection we do not discuss the subjects it is anything usually we'll send each other a quick headline and then maybe a two to three word description so that you have an idea of what it is so that we don't wind up with the same point of inspection with a different name so i am very interested to know um, what this movie needs balls is about. Okay, well, <clears throat> so I think in past podcasts we've talked about one of the great sins a movie can make is just to make you think of better movies. Mm -hmm. uh, this movie absolutely did that. I thought of three movies, and I'll say them all. If you've seen them, you can you can let me know afterwards. But uh, Nicholas Cage's Eight Millimeter. Uh, okay. Cold in July with uh, Don Johnson and Sam Shepard and the guy who played Dexter. And a movie called Take Shelter. Uh, have you seen any of those? I have seen 8mm, but it was been a very long time. And that's, I mean, that was basically like a, well, I mean, it, yeah, it's in the same vein as this. I think it's a little bit more grotesque, but if I remember it correctly, it's been a long time. Yeah, but I mean, you're probably the... thinking of the snuff film element, right? Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty hard to forget that. Um, 
and again, I, I'm going to throw this in there. I don't like horror, so I'm a harsh critic in that regard. But to me, a movie like Gothica would be much more compelling with its themes if there was not a ghost, or at least if there was some debate as to whether Miranda was crazy or not. Um, and again, the supernatural elements, I don't like it because it always leads to storytelling shortcuts and characters being undercut and making illogical decisions. And I think if this were a male lead, they wouldn't feel the need to just make it a slasher ghost story. Like all those movies I mentioned, take elements of this, like take shelter, you know, the main character played by Michael Shannon, he's kind of, the movie is ambiguous as to whether he's crazy or he's right about a particular thing that he predicts. Uh, Cold in July, the villains are every bit as grotesque as Charles S. Dutton and um, you know, the sheriff, Sheriff Ryan, but there's no supernatural crutch. So all the runtime that's dedicated to the supernatural stuff actually allows you to build character and real tension that's not just jump scares. And again, I think any time a female lead, as, as hot as Halle Berry was at this time, is you know coming off her Oscar, coming off James Bond, coming off X-Men 2, they still wouldn't let a woman just kind of tell this story without the cheap, hey, we'll make $50 million guaranteed making it a, a horror movie. Mm -hmm. So that's what... I say this movie needed balls. It needs balls to just let Halle Berry carry a movie that's more of a psychological thriller than just a another mid-2000s horror movie. Yeah, this was a weird, like, genre time for, like, just, like, generic shitty horror movies. Anyway, even though this, this one's rated R, and I'll say this, I don't understand why this movie is rated R. I feel like this was one communal shower away from being PG-13, like, Outside of the shower and maybe some of the act scene when she kills Doug. For the most part, I thought this was a very PG-13 movie. I'm like, this one could have easily been PG-13. I feel like they, they pushed this one into our territory for no reason whatsoever. Um, but uh, what it so just to, to recap on the three movies that you mentioned, just because I like to get perspective. 8mm uh, did come out uh, about four years before this. That was 1999. Uh, Take Shelter, I think, was 2011, and the was uh, Cold in July was 2014. So two of them did come after this, just to give perspective as to where this is in, in that timeline. It's still a sin where it's one of those, like, if you think of God, watch Gothic on all you can think of is a better movie. It I, That still applies, but again, just to give perspective to, to where those movies lay um, in that timeline. Um, I do have to agree. I thought Halle, I mean, Halle Berry just was not very engaging in this movie either. Like, she was kind of boring and i i don't think that's necessarily halle berry's fault so much as i just think the movie in general was incredibly boring like um to your point to the to, to you know lean on the the supernatural element it's just kind of lazy storytelling and, it's filler yeah yeah it, it it doesn't make a whole lot and to your point she's supposed to be the super logical smart person and rather than allowing her to figure things out by logic instead she has to be guided by a spirit which by the way, also didn't make sense in the movie because the spirit is using her at some and, and some points as a vessel. Because I don't know about you, but my take was that the spirit possessed her and then killed Doug. Miranda didn't kill Doug. That's even, my take as well. Yeah, but then she continues to try and tell Miranda like, 
oh, Doug wasn't the only one. There's another person. And whenever she does it, it is in the most aggressive ways possible. She cuts it into her arm. She throws her around a cell. Like, none of it makes it's like, oh, the, you know, this is the the ghost is trying uh, to get a plan to help Miranda escape. It is all just like, no, this is just an angry ghost taking it out on the one person who seems to be able to help you in this situation which I really don't understand that. And I don't feel like you ever get any closure with the ghost. It's not like, you know, and I know it's cliche and all that, but you're not, you're waiting for the thing where like the ghost fades off or something like that. Or, you know, she says like she can be at at ease now, but I'm like, you don't really get that moment. The most you get is, (laughs) is when she's talking to the girl's father, which we'll get into that. And this is going to be a perfect a perfect transition into logic is overrated actually yes are you i want to go there is, are you are you good with this movie needs balls so we can just fully absolutely okay we can fully transition because i think this is, is going to be the meat of the oh yes the inspection oh okay. yes this movie is just ripe with illogic like just well can i ask a question just because you're already talking about it uh-huh why do ghosts in these movies number one to your point, why is she abusing the only person capable of helping her? And then number two, why are the ghosts always so fucking cryptic? <laughs> Not alone? You couldn't think of a better way to say what was going on? <laughs> yeah, like Sheriff Ryan. <laughs> that would have been a pretty good one. Yeah. You can <laughs> carve spell. it into my you're gonna carve it into my fucking arm. Why don't you just tell me who? Like, <laughs> come on. Um but like, so as I was getting with the the logic, so the only closure you get with her and the ghost is when her father comes in. Who, by the way, her father works with Miranda and Doug, and it. I assume they. I feel like it is implied somewhere in the movie that they've worked there together for a while, and Miranda has no idea that this guy had a daughter and that she died four years ago by suicide. I. D- <laughs> Like, I'm just like real, real tight knit workplace. Yeah, she's like, who's who's this girl in this picture? He goes, That's my daughter. And she goes, Well, I need to talk to her. He she died for. Her. I'm like, surely you all have been working together. Even then, I feel like somehow that comes up that like, oh yeah, by the way, Dr. So and so, like, don't bring up like his daughter died of suicide. So like he's pretty close to like the inmates and like the psychological side of it. But just like it makes no sense that, that, that that's how that revelation would be done. But when he comes to talk to Miranda after he's like, oh, so do you think Doug did this to my daughter? And she's like, yes, I think it was it was her, and, and I think there were more. He has almost no emotional reaction to that news whatsoever. Like, you thought your daughter committed suicide, and what you found out was that she was brutally raped and murdered by someone you called a friend, and you have almost no reaction to that whatsoever. I'm like, at a certain point, if I wasn't convinced that Sheriff Ryan was the other person, I would have been like, maybe this dude's kind of in on it too, because he's stone cold at finding out this information. Yeah, and I mean, not only does he find out that his daughter died brutally and not by her choice, but it's by a guy that he sees every day. (laughs) And again, he's just kind of glazed over about it. Yeah, um, and then to, to go more into like the when she there's there's there was a large the pool was a big deal for me throughout this entire movie, um, and not the pool itself, but kind of like things that ra- revolved around the pool. When she hides in the pool, because at the very beginning of the movie, when she makes the comment like, "Oh, I did fifty five laps today," but who's counting? I'm like, okay, like I even put in my notes. I'm like, the pool's gonna come back somewhere now. 
the pool does come back, but apparently that was not originally in the script. That was added in afterward because I guess the director thought it looked cool or needed some. He thought that there needed to be some kind of more dynamic chase or whatever that. But like when she slowly gets into the pool of clear water and the security guards can't see her with the flashlight, I'm like, I do not. Like this makes literally no sense whatsoever in the grand scheme. And not only that, when she gets in the pool, she literally runs all the way down the length of the pool then the short side of the pool, and then runs all the way up the length of the pool again to then dive into that corner. I'm like, why did you run all the way to the guards and come back? I'm like, it just, there's certain things where I'm like, I guess from a cinematography standpoint, like, it was interesting to watch her run all the way from one end of the frame to the other, but I'm like, it literally makes no sense, and it wasn't that engaging of a shot to begin with to make up for how stupid it was. Yeah, if this movie has anything going for it, I think at times visually they do some decent stuff, but I can't stop questioning the terrible logic of not only the character, but like, let's just talk about this uh, asylum for the criminally insane. Number one, in what world does a psychiatrist, excuse me, get committed to the same place she worked to be in general population with the people that she treated. I, just, I know they, Robert Downey be, Jr. is like, you know, I pulled a few strings with the ethics board. Yeah, exactly. Like She is being treated by one of her best friends in the exact facility that she was once. I'm like, yeah, I was like, this makes no sense. I'm like, why would you do it this way? whatsoever? I'm like, so much of this movie makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The the guy, the guard that she says 55 laps to, when she crawls up on him and he sees her and he like he like basically creates a distraction so that she can escape and then he he gives her her um his car keys. Like, here, take my car. I'm like, at no point in the movie did we establish how close these two characters were. They have one throwaway line in the first three minutes of the movie, and yet why wouldn't like why would he not want her to stay in that facility if clearly everyone thinks she's crazy? Like, he actually is a terrible friend, if that's what they're trying to imply, because he let her escape, and she's crazy. Yeah, and pretty clearly, all the evidence says she murdered someone. He's not aware of the supernatural elements. It's not a... You know, a very mysterious case where we're not sure what happened. She chopped her husband up with an axe, who at this point the guard thinks is completely innocent. So, yeah. And then one more point about this asylum. It's for the criminally insane, and yet they all shower in a group of, like, 40? Like, you don't (laughs) – and when things go bad – the the lady, the the nurse who was supposed to be watching him is like, you know, I looked away for a second. She's like beating herself up. I'm like, even if you were watching intently, what would you do? Just wade into the crowd of 40 people and start subduing them? Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the, the end of the movie, somehow she gets out of prison, which I don't understand how, why, because ultimately what happens is she figures out that Sheriff Ryan, which came from like, I mean, it was hard not to notice that he was going to be the bad guy, the way that, you know, Sheriff Ryan acted with Doug's death. But she realizes that, that Sheriff Ryan is the other, other murderer. And ultimately he burns up in a fire at the end. And I'm like, the only evidence you had as to why you said it was him was his tattoos. (laughs) He's no burnt (laughs) up. I'm like, what evidence do you have now? (laughs) Sheriff Ryan was the other murderer. (laughs) 
I'm like, there's so much. There's that. And like, one of the things I thought was like dumb were like, they then they did throw in, I won't even call it logic, but like when she's driving down, the ghost possesses the car and then like speeds it up. <laughs> screeches it to a halt at the at the sinkhole in the middle of the the road and i'm just like oh i literally just said out loud i'm like oh i guess the sinkhole was real i'm like that wasn't a part of the movie that i needed to be explained to me and if i'm completely honest i think finding out the sinkhole was fake would have been more actually engaging in the movie because then it feels like the sheriff is on all of it and he's trying to basically like like push her in a certain direction you know like oh if she goes this route she'll get home too quick and then she'll find out you know doug won't be there before she gets there because he's torturing some woman i'm like oh i'm like the sinkhole didn't make any sense i didn't need that to be explained to me that the sinkhole was real but yet that was where they decided to really like okay wait a second we know you're probably confused about that sinkhole from the first three minutes of the movie so we're gonna make sure you know that that was real yeah, and this is one of those times where they would have just been better off never addressing it, even if it was just bad script writing and they forgot to address it. Because at least if they don't address it, your reading could still be a reading of the movie. You know, that the mm-hmm. sheriff has, you know, they were pushing things in a direction the whole time. But no, it it, it spoils that for, like you said, no goddamn reason. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about psychiatrists, but I also love the amount of times that Robert Downey Jr.'s character is the one who is doing, like, physical exams on Miranda. And I'm like, I don't... Would he be the one checking her blood pressure and her heart? (laughs) I'm like, I don't think that's what a psychiatrist does. Yeah, and, and, and I have another quick thing I wonder if you noticed. When we find out that there's still a victim alive... And Miranda gets arrested. The victim is it like the FBI? Is this a, like the state police? Who who take her away? Do you know? Yeah, because you would assume Ryan's going to take care of that because she might be able to actually, you know, pinpoint that it was him again. You know, the the oh, and then yeah. It just seemed he seemed nonchalant about the fact that a witness, a living witness was out there being questioned by other people. I mean, are we to assume that the corruption goes up so high that any law enforcement agency is going to cover for him? Because it doesn't feel like that would be the case. Yeah, no, I would say that you're not supposed to assume anything, Travis, if I'm completely honest. So my and then also with Sheriff Ryan, my favorite thing is like, I feel like the movie tries hard to push that like Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Pete is like behind a lot of it and maybe he's the partner and all that the only problem with <laughs> with that whole thing is that robert downey jr is like what five foot something and john carroll lynch is fucking tall so like it's very clear that robert downey jr was not the one that was in the prison cell with chloe because he's not nearly tall enough to have been that person yeah i I guess I never thought about that part just because I I didn't think Robert Downey Jr. was going to be the guy despite them wanting to make it seem that way. I I thought it was just painfully obvious the whole time who Mm -hmm. it was. And and the only reason I suspected the husband, too, is you don't cast Charles S. Dutton to just have that one weird scene where he – splashes the water on the mirror and then calls himself God. I'm like, if this dude's not the killer, I would be stunned. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is a hell of a red hearing or hearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And that was the other thing that I thought was weird is like 
again, I guess they're trying to explain that it's a small town that has a correctional facility that's this big, but I'm like, so Miranda reports directly to her husband at this facility, and they also work with their, like, like, like a best friend type situation. And I understand you can become friends at a place, but I'm like, again, it has this, like, one big happy family type thing situation where I'm just like, this feels so incestuous. Like, yeah, there is probably a lot of corruption here just based off of the relationship at the beginning of the of the movie. And all that, they, they go out of their way to make the relationship between Miranda and Doug feel very, like wrong at the beginning like oh my god he is it's this him you know taking taking advantage of his position over her and it's like oh no it's they're they're married like okay well why you know you really led with the whole like he's he's using his power of authority over her you know yeah and i did not buy them as a couple at all but i guess that's pretty far down on the list of the things this movie does wrong well, I mean, just here's the problem. Logic's overrated, Travis. So you just you can't apply that to anything that that occurs in this movie well, whatsoever. And my last thing for this segment, you already brought it up. By the end of the movie, not only is Miranda out, so is Penelope Cruz. Yes. And I'm like, you just have two ladies who brutally murdered people and they're just like, oh, hey, we got makeovers. Don't we feel better? Yeah, just and then and no explanation whatsoever. Yeah, and then apparently Miranda is going to be like the Angela Lansbury for like murdered people, like the case of the week shit now. Is that what the movie's setting yeah. up? Yeah, apparently she's a median now. I don't, yeah, when that happened, I thought it was just a one time ghost because her husband was the one that, you know, raped and murdered her. But no, apparently Miranda has just now tapped into, uh, she's, you know, ghost, ghost detective. Yeah, I guess. Maybe they were hoping for a Gothica franchise. <laughs> I don't know if this fits in logic or not. It's my absolute favorite line, and it is in the end of the movie. When Chloe gets out, and she's like, blah, 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 like, you did so much for me, all that. And Miranda goes, no, you taught me how to listen. And I'm like, you're a fucking psychiatrist. Isn't that your job? Like, she's the one who taught you to listen. Like, you clearly weren't very good at your job if this is now the lesson you have learned now. Oh, well, I've got a favorite line, but I'm going to try to save it for the end of the podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, yeah, this movie just makes absolutely no sense. It's boring. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, in terms of not making any sense, I think this is once again a perfect transition into what's in a name. Because <laughs> I tried to figure out, do some research to figure out what what Gothica like if it meant anything. So you you tell me what you came up with this one. What's in a name? What what do you want to talk about? Well, did you stumble upon? Well, most everything I could find was basically defined by this movie. Like the term didn't exist before this movie. Mm -hmm. so it was like a snake eating its tail, but I went into a deep dive. Ooh, so what's okay. in a name? The the chest tattoo that uh, the sheriff has that it's mm -hmm. mentioned. I don't know if you remember the name. It's uh, Amina Sola. Mm -hmm. And now the movie briefly touches on like it, with a real heavy hand. Robert Downey Jr. just happens to know this fucking tattoo and who this character represents. Uh, but it's a woman in purgatory, which yeah makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So I went into the wiki article on 
Amina Sola, and yes, that's that's the depiction. It's a woman in purgatory, but there's, I guess, a backstory, or you know, if we were talking about a movie, a prequel to how she got to purgatory. Uh, so allegedly, the the theory goes that she was at the crucifixion of Christ, and she gave. There were three people crucified that day. Christ was one, and then I guess two criminals. She gave water to the two criminals, but not to Jesus. And when Jesus rose, his punishment for her was to be in purgatory. Now, do you know the name of the location that Christ was crucified at? Uh, no. Golgotha. G-O-L-G-O-T-H-A. I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly. And if you thought I had a very deep point from here, I'm just going to say that if you spell that out, looks a whole lot like Gothica. <laughs> okay. And I, I probably did what you always accuse me of, Brett, is giving a movie too much credit to assume that they gave that level of thought. But... I had to I had to find something out about the title and that's the best I could come up with. I think you did a marvelous job with your deep dive. Um I am absolutely not going to give this movie that much credit for Gothica. <laughs> um I think um it they took the word goth and put ica at the end and then they're like, "Well, I don't think that's creative enough. What if the C's a K? Wouldn't that be weird?" Yeah, make the C a K. Now we've got it. Gothica. Who do you think will star in this movie? Halle Berry's pretty hot right now. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I think they were one step away from reversing the K, <laughs> like having the K be backwards in the spelling. That would have been the next step. Yeah, someone definitely proposed that. <laughs> so, so yeah, not not much meat on that bone, but I thought it was worth bringing up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is. I did the same thing trying to figure out, you know is does gothica mean anything and yeah basically came around the the same circled the same drain you did so uh, i mean charles s dutton said he was god so does that mean that john carroll lynch is jesus and he's punishing the girl <laughs> yeah no no not at all like you said yeah. Halle berry yeah. just won an oscar let's get her yep i can't believe she saw like I would love to know when she read the script and thought, like, was this a time when actors didn't read their scripts? They were just like, hey, movie, 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 make me that dollar, because I cannot... Because she did this, and then she followed this up with, like, Catwoman. Like, she went from being, like, super credible to not credible at all in a very, very short period of time. Yeah, I think you would be hard-pressed to find someone who failed to capitalize on their Oscar more so than Halle Berry. And I know for a woman it's a lot more difficult but, uh, yeah, she took the banner for doing it the absolute wrong way. Absolutely. But then again, though, she did swordfish and agreed to show her tits for some extra money. So make of that what you will. <laughs> All right. With that, I think we'll move into Perpetua. Uh, this will be a short little segment. I just thought that the entire movie looked like, well, not the entire movie, but 80% of it, 80, 90% of it looked like it was shot through an Instagram filter. And that filter was closest to per Perpetua. So it is just, I, I tried to look it up because the only other movie I know that has done something that's like this 
like this coloring i guess you could say was like underworld and i was like well did they is this like a cheap knockoff of underworld but no underworld came after this so i think underworld saw this and decided to do it better or it's just like a lot of blue tents um i just thought and then i thought maybe it was supposed to be intentional like oh every whenever all the shots at the at the insane asylum um are the the ward would basically they were muted because it was to show all the medication they were on and like you know everything is muted just to make them sedate and all that and they wouldn't remember anything like that but then most of the other shots were pretty muted too like maybe like in the in the house and the outdoor shots were a little bit more yellow and maybe had a little bit more natural tinting to it but not enough to where like it was it looked like a, a drastic change it just felt like you know, the best I could say is like somebody was inspired by Tim Burton, um, but couldn't get an actual interview with him to talk him through his process. So like, it's just a bastardization or like someone trying to emulate Tim Burton's style. Um, but ultimately, I just thought it was really muted. I thought a lot of the shots, actually, the way they were so muted, like they could have done a lot better using some of the like the shadows and using a lot more heavier like blacks in order to to make some of the scenes pop a little bit more um but instead again it was all just kind of muted and i guess i think that also adds to just how boring the movie was like the actual visuals wound up made you unengaged with what was happening yeah and you know you mentioned that blue tint and you know they should have talked to tim burton but i thought of terminator 2 because the mm. Uh, asylum that Sarah Connor's in, it's shot that way, that dull blue, and probably for the exact reason you mentioned, to kind of show how dull the pa the patients are because of the medication. But to your point, James Cameron doesn't shoot the whole movie that way. Right. Um, and I think so, if, yeah, I'd... No, go ahead. And I think if you take, if you had jump shot more stuff of, like, her visions and stuff like that, maybe it would have made it more interesting. But, like, it is almost the entire movie is just shot in the the prison and her trying to cope with that. Like it's just all grays and stuff like that. I just it makes like I said, I think visually and the tone of the movie winds up being boring. And it's just yeah, it's just not interesting. I mean, would you say the shade of gray is Miranda Gray? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's Miranda Gray. Son of a bitch. I can't <laughs> believe I didn't get that one. So kudos to you, sir. I'm I'm actually a little upset. Speaking of color, though, behind blue eyes, what did you think about the end of the movie? I mean, we already joked about the stupid lines, the stupid exchange, the fact that the logic does not make any sense why both of these women would have been released. Um, it appears that Miranda is now a median. But really, I wanted to talk about specifically the song choice. <laughs> behind blue eyes, what was your thought? Uh, I mean, I think you already nailed it. It was more of just a, what's a way to kind of boost this movie's box office, you know, have a Limp Biscuit song attached. I, are, I'm curious, are you trying to say that there's a connection to the lyrics to the subject matter of the movie? No, that's my problem, is that there's no connection to the movie and the, sub and the lyrics in the song. The song was originally by the Guess Who? Or no, it's just The Who. The Who... The who. The song is about is sung from the perspective of the villain from the album that 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 song comes from, and that basically nobody understands what it's like being the villain. And I'm like, that song is being played 
over Halle Berry basically realizing that she's the hero and that they are implying that she will be able to use this newfound power to help more people in the future. And I'm like, I do not understand using that song as a... To me, the ending should have had... It could still be kind of a mellow or dramatic song, but like it should have been a little bit more empowering to Halle Berry, what she came over, and then ultimately what she's going to do, Miranda's going to do with her with her new confidence and power going forward. And that song has absolutely nothing to do with any of that. Yeah, and I think that would have been a great opportunity to have, you know, a splashy name of the time, but have it be a female artist, because I'll get into this in my time capsule, but the writer of this movie, I I think, you know, this movie's all about hearing victims out, so then to have Fred Durst sing a song that, like you said, originated as the villain of an album, it just is just random marketing for random marketing's sake. So here's here's the crazy part, Travis. I cannot believe this. So you said female artist, because I was going to say this before you even said female artist. I was going to say who I think would have been a much better um, band or group to have done the inside. Avril Lavigne? Evanescence. Which, yes, yes. which was the song for Dare, Ben Affleck's Daredevil. You want to know what year Daredevil came out? I believe it was 2003, wasn't it? 2003. <laughs> <laughs> what did you mess that up? How did you mess that up? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, just, that, just flip those songs at the very least. Yeah. Even then, it would have been kind of funny who, behind Blue Eyes and Daredevil's Blind. Like, at that point, yes. you're kind of ironic. <laughs> like, oh, oh, If we get that time machine, Brett, that's one of the first things we're going to take care of. Now that the end of that is Daredevil taking down King. Oh, my God. It just makes no sense. I'm like, who who messed that up? I, I, the only thing that would make it possibly worse is if it was the same studio that produced both of them. And it was just like, that's when that, it's that classic scene where both people, two people have an envelope with the song for the end of the movie and they're walking down a hall and they bump into each other and drop the envelopes <laughs> and then they accidentally grab the wrong one. And then that's how you find out that the, the songs got switched. I think Gothica is Warner Brothers and Daredevil was Fox. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so <laughs> crazy, crazy to me, though, that that's how how easily you could have swapped those two and it would have made way more sense. And even then, the end of Daredevil would have made more sense with the the tone of Behind Blue Eyes. So, like, oh, my God, stuff like that drives me nuts. <laughs> so, uh. Well, do you have anything else on Behind Blue Eyes? Because I have a closing note on that one. No, no, no. I, that's it for me for Behind Blue Eyes. I just, again, wanted to bring up that the song does not make any sense for the end of the movie. Well, I'll close this section by saying I think the Limp Biscuit version is the superior version. And I'm not trolling at all. Well, the good thing is, is I'm going to take a poll from people and then I'm going to find out the result. And if most people disagree. I'm just going to cut that whole bit out so that you don't even have a chance to say it. That's not true. You're entitled to your opinion. I mean, and I this appreciate whole movie it. is about believing victims, Brett, and you're going to silence me? Uh, absolutely. Listen, I can't believe you if I think you're crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I don't think that was the line, Brett, but I, I got you. <laughs> All righty, so... Um, I'd have to go back and listen to both. I mean, I like both versions. I don't know if I 
if I have any skin in the game for as to which one I think is the better version. I think they they both do a good job of basically, you know, summing up what that song is about. So Yeah, you know, I, I you enjoyed my Kubrick versus King comment, the hot take. So I wanted to give you another one that I actually believe in as well. I'll always welcome your hot takes, sir. Um, so with that, I think that's a good place to close out our five points of inspection. If you're ready, I'd love to get into some chop shop. I'm ready, sir. So this week, this week, well, this is going to be interesting. I got Oscar bait. I had to turn this colossal turd into Oscar bait. What did you, did you get comedy? Comedy. Yeah. Comedy. All right. All right. So I'm going to let you decide who goes first. Uh, Mine's pretty quick. So I'll, uh, I'll let you lead it off. All right. So Travis, I'm going to tell you this. I did, you're going to listen to mine. It's not going to feel super Oscar-worthy. I rewrote the story a little bit. I think it's all right. But I've been holding on to something in my back pocket, something I was going to pull out. And I'm a little ashamed that Gothica is going to be what I have to what I have to do this for. Um, but you'll see. You'll see what happens. So this, is what, I, this is what I'm going to do to turn this into an Oscar-worthy movie. All right. First thing is, I'm changing the setting. We're going... Oh, let me take a step back. You know, uh, for this, I took a little bit of inspiration um, from Sleepy Hollow, and I think a little bit of the others. I don't know where exactly I got the others, but I definitely was thinking a lot about it as I was making this. So I don't know if there's any real logical jumping points there, but just I wanted to give it credit because I definitely circled that a lot as I was trying to develop this out. <clears throat> Here we go. So the movie is going to be set in the 1820s. And uh, to me, this is going to fix one of our main logic points as to if she committed murder in the town, why would they allow her to stay at that prison? I'm like, if it's 1820s, it's going to be small. They're going to have to keep her locally, right? So little nitpicky stuff that I'm trying to solve here. Um, and at the same thing, why she would, they would let her stay at a place with a doctor that she knew. Uh, additionally, Miranda is not going to be a doctor. Um, excuse me. God, this one's it's giving me indigestion just thinking about what I did. <laughs> uh, Douglas is not going to be a doctor either or the, like, the head of the department, but he is going to be just a charming, ego-driven mayor of the town, all right? So he's still a very big presence in the place. So the movie, instead of it opening with her doing any of her doctor stuff, the movie is just going to open with Miranda being interrogated by Peter. Also, he goes by Peter because it's the 1820s. Douglas, or Doug is also Douglas. Just the way it is, right, Travis? All right? It's the 1820s. They're important not details. It. Thank you. It's important details, right? This is what we talk about. So she's asking to see Douglas, but is informed that he was murdered three days ago. Miranda begins to weep. She's murdered, murdered, murdered by who? Murdered by, she's, she's stunned. And Peter calmly turns around to Miranda and says, My dear, don't you remember? It was you. Boom. Opening credits. Or yeah, title card. All right. So 
that's how we're going to open the movie, just instantly just jump right into it. So some of the backstory, I'm not exactly sure how to, to sew the whole thing together, but Peter and Miranda, we'll find out, will have grown up together in this, this small town, vi- village, I guess you could say. Um, and he can't figure out why Miranda would have murdered her husband. So this is why he's completely on Miranda's side. He just, he can't, he grew up with her. He knows her backstory. He knows everything about her. Like, it just doesn't feel like something Miranda would do. Peter has always regretted leaving the the village to go to medical school um, and thought that when he returned, Miranda would be there waiting for him, right? So there's a little bit of possession here with Peter as well, um, which I feel like was alluded to a little bit in the movie. Uh, Despite Douglas being very controlling, Peter respects their marriage and has always loved her and vows to protect her. The movie will still show Peter with an uncomfortable level of affection towards Miranda, almost a little possessive, right? As he's trying to help her. Throughout the movie, Miranda is haunted by images of women being tortured and of an axe from outside her home. While she tries to cope with the harrowing images, she's confronted by another woman named Chloe, who is um, committed by Sheriff Ryan, after claiming a satanic cult tried to abduct her. Peter tries to treat her as well, but he's convinced that she's projecting the images of demons raping her, and Peter is too distracted by trying to help Miranda and figure out what's going on there to really analyze and listen to what's going on with Chloe. Throughout the movie, Chloe, Miranda and Chloe will continue to bond. Um, so rather than being kind of weird at ends and then, again, them being okay at the end. Like, there, there was never, in the real movie, Gothica, I never felt like it, there was a payoff with Miranda and Chloe. It just wound up being that Miranda kind of realized what was happening. But, like, I never felt like those two actually connected anywhere else for them to have that the ending that they shared. But in my, you know, chop shop, she Miranda and Chloe. listen, Brett. Hmm? What? Oh, she, she, she taught, taught her, her how, to, how to listen. She did teach her how to listen. So Miranda and Chloe's bonds continue to go throughout the movie. Um, at a certain point, you know, Chloe's trying to help Miranda as like maybe she's seizing and she keeps having these visions. Chloe's the one to kind of, you know, take care of her despite Peter being around, um, you know, his kind of overbearingness and inability to actually listen to Miranda and what's going on. Um, and the fact that he's trying to conclude by himself what has happened rather than actually listen Miranda and Chloe become very close. It all comes to a climax um, when Chloe begins to describe the location of the satanic cult where they tried to abduct her. And Miranda realizes that she's describing various buildings on her and Douglas's estate. Her memories begin to flash back to her. She remembers everything, right? Miranda and her memories, now we're going to do a, a, sw- a great flashback, discovered that Douglas and Ryan were secretly murdering um, people, right? Uh, were members of the satanic leading the satanic cult so miranda does kill douglas but is of her own control because she realizes that she has to protect the women of the town um and that she can't continue to allow douglas to continue doing this she would have done it to ryan too but before she can ryan basically intervenes uh sheriff ryan hits her over the head um and has her admitted for being crazy so in his idea, he doesn't realize he didn't realize that she winds up with amnesia and actually can't remember anything. But his original plan was essentially to gaslight her and get her executed, um, basically make her seem like she was absolutely crazy, describing sat- satanic demons and all this other stuff. Then she must have been convinced by Chloe, all this stuff, and ultimately winds up having her hanged or you know uh, killed at the village square, um, so that she can't accuse him of the same crimes. Right? So because if she were to get out or, you know, anybody were to believe her, she could potentially just expose him. In the final confrontation, Sheriff Ryan is going to shoot, or try and shoot Miranda with a flintlock pistol, but it's going to misfire. 
The smoke from the flint begins to blow and grow around the room, and then suddenly the shadows begin to form in the smoke. All of the women that have died at the hands of Douglas, Ryan manifests and begin to consume him. But rather than dying, Ryan goes mad and is forced to live with the demons as, um, as the victims torture him for the rest of his life in the penitentiary. And he's unable to basically commit himself because of the, the ghosts and all that. Um, it ends with Miranda and Chloe as seen outside the ward. It is assumed that they escaped and they are beginning a new life free of their past. So that's that's my story. Uh, obviously, there, you know, I didn't want to get into too much detail with the connective tissue is how we get that, but the main points. But the way that this is going to wind up being Oscar worthy, because I just thought this, it's okay, but it's a fairly generic story and all that, you know, trying women coming together and the community and all that. But because it's set in 1820, we're going to go balls to the walls and just do fantastic costumes. And it's going to win an Oscar for best costume design. Ooh, I like that. I didn't think about trying to win an Oscar for something <laughs> other than just best picture. <laughs> I've been holding on to that for a while for a movie. I just could not come up with something. I, the problem with Gothica is like typically when we do the, uh, the, the chop shops, we try and keep the essence of the movie and you just convert it into <laughs> something we? else. Do I? I? I try to. I try and keep the essence of what the movie, the, the message of what the movie is trying to do and, and try and convert it into another genre. The problem is Gothica is not doing anything. The movie is boring and stupid and it's just, generic rubbish from the 2000s so um but yeah i thought it would be funny if basically instead of trying to go for best picture i just went with like best effects or the costume design so <laughs> i mean that being said i i know now why you made it a period piece but i think the period piece works better as a horror film too like there's no opportunity to have the demon possess halle berry's bmw if it's in you know 1832 mm-hmm um, so yeah, I, don't, I think it lends itself more to horror. So even though you weren't going for best picture, I think you might have got a nomination with that. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so with that said, I would love to hear your comedy version of Gothica. So unlike you, historically, Brett, I will chop it until it's barely uh, resembles the original movie. As you recall, I did Young Guns and it was basically a little league baseball team that sold hot you, dogs. So you decided to do a sequel instead of a straight chop shop. So. <laughs> true, true. But again, I'm willing to go off the reservation. Uh, so I got comedy. So let me just tell you immediately, the snuff film stuff's getting cut. Could couldn't find a way to put a comedic spin on that. Although, don't put it past me for trying. Okay. Um, so I'm thinking. <laughs> Miranda has this apparition, this woman that visits her, and, and she does have a tragic past. She was killed by her her husband. Uh, so no, no abduction, nothing like that, just kind of domestic violence kind of thing. So she comes to Miranda, and instead of doing what she does in this movie, which I brought up, she's actually helpful. Uh, Miranda's a, a psychiatrist, but not for the criminally insane. She's just a psychiatrist of the general population. And the ghost starts teaching Miranda how to listen, how to really hear her victims. So Mar and the ghost, because she, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, just laughing. You latched onto that line too. So yeah, to this point, Miranda's been kind of an ineffective psychiatrist. Only she actually knows it, so she felt bad. And this apparition has visited her, 
And because it has supernatural abilities, it has the ability to know exactly what's going on in these women's lives. And the ghost kind of starts to help her, tell her, fill in the gaps, which allows Miranda to actually help her patients, you know, whether it be, you know, leave a toxic relationship or leave a bad job. And she's going to meet Chloe. That's one of her new patients. And I didn't, I didn't want to get into Chloe's tragic backstory because again, it's a comedy, but she's going to have some sort of problem that Miranda is supernaturally going to be able to help with. But Chloe, Chloe's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been to 15 therapists, 20 psychiatrists. Nobody's been able to help me the way that you helped me. Like either you're spying on my life or something else is going on. I'll go to the police, et cetera. Miranda freaks out. She comes clean. Chloe's like, well, hey, we need to expand this business. And they kind of go out and instead of waiting for patients to come to them, they are almost, I won't say ghostbusters because they're not actual ghosts they're fighting, but they want to help all these women face their demons and fight them. So they kind of take their show on the road and hijinks can ensue because they can help with the smallest of things. Like, you know, maybe your boyfriend's gaslighting you and, you know, he claims, I never said I wanted to get married. Well, the ghost has the ability to be like, well, here's the script of what he said line for line. And these women can read it back. So I wanted to open up the floor to you. So with this basic setup, what are you thinking some of the hijinks could be? So I'll get to the hijinks in a, in just a second, but I will say right up until they hit the road part, I don't know why I was getting some hitch vibes. Like somehow, like, you know, the the ghost and Miranda wind up being like, I, I don't know how you would tie. A life coach. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, I guess like a life coach. But I was definitely starting to get some, like when you find out that, you know, hitch is helping people that normally wouldn't be able to hook up or not hook up. He's not trying to get into a relationship. Like... I don't know. That's just you know, with the with Chloe, I nobody's been able to help me, but you were able to. Like suddenly, like so basically, yeah, she's the Kevin James of the situation. Yes, yeah, I was starting to get like that those vibes. So a little bit. So what kind of hijinks could they could they get into? Because yeah, um, you're right. You nailed the ultimate kind of movie I want to make, which is just little vignettes based around the power, much like Hitch was. I could see one of them being like Chloe doesn't like cats, but yet somehow like cats. I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like somewhere there's like lore like that cats can detect like spirits. So like there's at some point like Miranda is trying to to work with not Chloe. Miranda is trying to work with the ghost, and the the ghost is basically just trying to get away from a cat, and the cat won't leave her alone. Because of course, the less you like a cat, the more the cat wants to be around you. So I could see something like that where it's just like the background of you know. There's definitely the shot where you see the ghost like interacting with the cat through Miranda's eyes and then like the cat's kind of flying around and basically it's through the person's eyes who who can only see the cat but not the ghost. So like there's this floating weird cat or like the cat's doing weird stuff. So you get that classic where like you get to do the the two shots where one's through Miranda's eyes and with the ghost in frame and then one where the frame the ghost isn't in the frame. So I could see something like that. And then the other movie I was thinking about, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, with Mel Gibson, What Women Want. Okay, yeah. 
that kind of vibe because obviously he's got the supernatural ability to hear women's thoughts and all the hijinks that, that can ensue from that. So that's the tone I want to go for as a comedy. Uh, does it stick close to the movie? Not at all. But like you said, the only the movie's boring. And then like, oops, there's a snuff film subplot that's revealed in the the back third. So that's really the only thing that happens. And uh, that's not ripe for comedy. Yeah, it's revealed and solved almost instantly. <laughs> the, the snuff film part. Yeah, yeah, the, the the pacing is very bad with this movie, which is, I mean, there's another just bad mark against it. But thank God it was only an hour and 38. That's true. It was not particularly long. But no, I think that would be, I'm trying to think if there's like anything else to kind of compare it to. But I like that kind of like the buddy life coach. Oh, and it's like, that's even better. It's a life coach with a ghost. Fuck, that's a good premise. Yeah, that, that, that was my jumping off point. Normally I'd put more into it, but... Again, inside baseball, this is uh, Dune week. So uh, my excitement is running high for that one. Yeah, absolutely. So this was, yeah, we recorded this one early so that we could get to Dune on a, on a timely fashion. So with that reveal, let's jump out of Chop Shop and get into some Blue Book. All right. The market value for this movie was $40 million. That's what it so what an estimated cost to make the thing was 40 mil. What do you think it grossed U.S. and Canada? This is 2003 bucks we're talking about. And it's rated R. It is rated so R. So I feel like that puts a big ceiling on this. You said the budget was 40? But yeah, the budget was 40 mil. I'll say it doubled its money, which is still technically a flop. So I'll say 81. So U.S. and Canada came in at 59.5 mil. Eee. So in the U.S., it only brought in, what, 19 million? But there's still Ooh, hope, Travis. Awesome. There's still hope for Gothica. With the gross worldwide, what do you think it brought in total? Got the whole world in your hands right now. What do you think this movie brought in? Uh, I'll go back to my 81. <laughs> so believe it or not, this movie brought in $141 million worldwide. How? Yep. So apparently it was much popular overseas than it was here. And I don't know if that is, I think the director is French. So I don't know if, french audiences jumped all over this but yes no it actually i was i was stunned to see that um it actually made that much money worldwide yeah i i think i read that the director did some phenomenal indie film in france that really transcended you know it was a big hit over there so yeah i would say that has to be it so but yep so there's blue book Let's jump in some tag and title. So I told you I wasn't going to do you dirty this week, Travis. And I, I, I stay true to that, all right? So I'm going to give you three taglines. One is an official tagline to this movie. One is a tagline to a movie I found adjacent. 
and one is a tagline I made up myself. I need you to tell me what the official tagline for 20,003's, 2003's <laughs> Gothica, 2003's Gothica. All right, are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. The doctor is in. There's more than one way to lose your life to a killer. Not alone. I'm going to say not alone is the one you made up because it would be too obvious. I'm going to say there's more than one way to lose your life to a killer is the actual tagline. Okay. And therefore, the doctor is in, you think it's to an adjacent movie? Yes, but I, I think that you would have gone with Dark Water unless that was a little red herring, and that I don't know anything about that, so maybe there's a doctor in there. So yeah, that's my final answer. Okay, so here we go. You got a bit of a mix-up here. So Not Alone was one of the official taglines for this movie. Um, I threw that one in there because I did think you would think I put that in there as a red herring part to mislead you. It. <laughs> so I might not have done you dirty by giving you more than one, but I did do you dirty thinking that I, I got in your head to to kind of intentionally put you down the, the wrong way. So Yeah, you um, checkmated me there. Yep. So the other taglines for for this movie before I get into the the other ones in here were because someone is dead doesn't mean they're gone, which I thought made no to me that's almost almost like a rom-com or something like that tagline i wouldn't i don't think i would have associated and i don't know what it is about the way it's written i just i don't know if i would have associated that with a horror movie it just doesn't seem ominous enough to me i think it's yeah, the it word. seems more like it, it could be like a loving kind of like you know you're sad because they're dead but don't be they're still around yeah it just it felt a little soft to me um another one was until the day she woke up on the other side oh no no i'm sorry this is this is one of the longest taglines i think i've ever seen dr miranda gray is an expert at knowing what is rational what is logical what is sane until the day she woke up on the other side is it's an official tagline i'm like okay that's too long and obviously i didn't give you that one for for uh specific reasons there's more than one way to lose your life to a killer is from zodiac uh, I almost chose this one from What Lies Beneath because this is the one that What Lies Beneath was probably the most adjacent I could get, um, but I, it didn't make enough sense. It was he was the perfect husband until the one mistake uh, until his one mistake followed them home, and I was like, eh, I just don't think that would be a tagline for Gothic. I thought it was too easy. Um, and then the Doctor is in was from me. Now, I do have a question for you because I have an alternate version of this and I couldn't tell if it was better or worse. And I want your opinion. Okay. So there's the Doctor is in. And then I had another version that was the Doctor is in, comma, denial. But I wasn't sure if that made it too clunky and cheesy. So I just went with just the Doctor is in. No, I don't think it's clunky or cheesy, but I would have known immediately that that was you because that's too clever, especially for 2003. <laughs> so there's our, our tag and title. So, Travis, would you please, would you please let me know what you did for Time Capsule? Because I already teased a little bit. When I saw who was actually in this movie, I thought Zodiac would have been a fun Time Capsule because 
there are two actors from this movie that one of them almost basically plays the same character in Zodiac, but I'm, I don't want to steal too much thunder in case that's the direction you went. So what's time? Well, no, 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 no. I, I want you to expound upon that because I knew immediately, obviously, the two actors you were referring to, but I got confused with who John Carroll Lynch played with Zodiac because I went back on YouTube and watched a clip. I thought he was the one that led uh, Jake Gyllenhaal into the basement, which is one of the tensest scenes I've ever seen in a movie, but that was no. not... John that was Carroll like, Lynch. No, that was like the old guy wh who did like movie posters or something like that. Or like, yeah, he leads him in. No, John Carroll Lynch is the one that is is Arthur Allen, who everyone believes was most likely the Zodiac killer. Um. So, yeah, that that's who he plays in that movie. So he basically plays another serial killer. And then Robert Downey Jr. plays Paul Avery, who I believe is a uh, journalist. Yeah. Now, and Zodiac. who who plays the exact same role? I'm assuming you're saying John Carroll Lynch because they're both John murders. Carroll Lynch. Yeah, yeah, they're both murderers. Yeah, I couldn't remember how. I guess Robert Downey Jr. because he wasn't fully back yet. He doesn't have as much to do in here as you maybe would assume. No, yeah, he doesn't have a. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is the main, and I honestly I remember I think only one scene with Robert Downey Jr. and I believe they're like on a houseboat that he's living on because like he gets fired or something from his paper and then mark ruffalo is the plays the inspector um but yeah so i thought you were possibly and this is only four years so it's a little little close for a a time capsule but i i thought you might go zodiac route just because you have two actors in this movie but i'm i'm anxious to see where you went well what i went with is the writer of this movie a gentleman Ooh. by the name of Sebastian Gutierrez. Uh, he's got over 20 writing credits, including Gothica. Now, he's got two other writing credits you would know about, Brett. Okay. And they're all around this era. In fact, one of them probably was 2003 and was definitely at the theater when we worked there, and the other one's a little bit later. But I'm just curious if you want to take a stab in the dark at maybe the most random filmography of a writer I've ever seen as far as their known movies. Uh, what was the one with Tommy Lee Jones? Like he's in the house, or he's the man, or man of what was the one oh, with man him of the house? Man of the house is it gonna be man of the house? You're not far off. Um, do you remember the movie called The Big Bounce? Uh, Owen Wilson, Morgan Freeman, Charlie Sheen. It's like a Hawaii-based movie. Uh, I'm looking up the poster now. No, and honestly, if I had looked at this, I would have assumed that it was a Broken Lizard production. Yeah, actually based off an Elmore Leonard novel, but I don't remember it being very good. Hmm. The other one that you would know is a little vehicle called Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. So I was like, wow, this guy's a complete joke. But... What he's done more recently, uh, he's married to Carla Gugino. You would know her if you saw her. Uh, but he has written and directed two independent female-driven ensemble comedies uh, called Women in Trouble and Electra Lux. Um, and then he did an American action crime television series called Jet, also starring uh, his girlfriend Carla Gugino. So the whole you know, believe women and empowering women. I think that's been on his mind for a good long while. I think he took a swing at mainstream Hollywood and missed. Um, 
but he seems to be working on a smaller level, but stuff he seems to be more passionate about, including his girlfriend. So I just thought that was an interesting tidbit because I feel like you could see the early roots of, you know, what he cared about as far as a cause. Yeah, for sure. So another fun little tidbit based off of this movie, though, did you know that Robert Downey Jr. met his wife on the set of, uh, was it, what is it? Uh, Agothica. Yeah, she's like a producer. Yeah. Yeah, did not know that until uh, research. Yeah. Interesting stuff. But no, that's that's cool. I always like when you do something a little bit more obscure. I mean, Zodiac was probably some low-hanging fruit, but that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, thought it was interesting. Cool. Well, with that, it brings us to the end of this episode. Let's give our recommendations. Travis, I'll let you start us off. Where what do you what do you, I I watched this movie on HBO Max. So it was it was free with with that subscription. So I don't know where you watched it. Yeah, I watched it on HBO Max as well. I was very, very happy to see it was on a platform where I didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, me and too. That might say all I need to say. <laughs> yeah. I um I don't know if there's really any redeeming quality in this movie. Um I thought it was incredibly boring. None of the performance. I mean, if you want to see Robert Downey Jr. as he's getting back on the horse, I guess you can go there. Um, you can kind of see, I think this is the first role where John Carroll Lynch plays a serial killer, and he has done it, I think, four or five times since then. So, um, but yeah, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I think there's a lot of wasted talent in this movie. It's boring, and I don't think yes. you need to watch it. So Yeah, the, the wasted talent is the only other comment I have because this movie might fool you. You might see that, you know, what the hell is this? This has started the, the downfall of Halle Berry, but then you see, Oh, Robert Downey Jr. You know, Charles S. Dutton, John Carroll Lynch, but even all of the names, nobody gives a good performance. Even Robert Downey Jr. Doesn't have that sparkle in his eye, I guess just because of the material. So there's nothing to like, unless you just like, poking holes in logic yeah i mean it is is it is i've always said i would either have a movie that is just completely awful that's enjoyable and enjoyable uh enjoyable just because it's fun to make fun of or like you can even see kind of the passion behind the movie and just they they fell short and like it's just it's kind of fun to make fun of and stuff like that this movie is just it's nothing i mean it really is this movie is as engaging as the color palette that they use to shoot it in and that's where I'll leave it. Yeah, agreed. Um, did you want to tease Dune one more time, or are we going to cut I this out? I tease some Dune. So this episode, you know, we'll do our, our socially obligated Halloween trilogy wrap-up, um, which we'll release too, but we are doing a special edition Dune episode that will most likely release same day as this. So if you're listening to this first... I'm sorry you had to get all the way to the end of this to find out about Dune, um, but just know you should definitely listen to the Dune review because I'm sure that's going to be... We we have high hopes. So, unfortunately, we are going into it with, I think, some expectations, which is never a good thing. Um, but I am very much looking forward to to doing the Dune chop shop, or Dune Hollywood chop shop. So it will be outside of a traditional trilogy, but we'll still follow the same format. Well, I guess mostly... Yeah, so we won't have blue book, but 
I hope to God there's a tagline for it. I don't know. We'll we'll play it by ear. But hopefully we'll see you back for Dune. Absolutely. And Brett? Mm-hmm. I don't believe in ghosts, but they believe in me. Yeah, now take a closer look. Look at these labels. They're all full of brake pads. You were right, Murphy's been stealing them in mass, and that's why we can't find any inventory. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was about to say, like, did you cut out? And <laughs> did I just not hear the line? Yeah, no, I try to read it off my computer so I don't rustle the papers, and uh, I didn't space this out. So where do you want me to take it from the top? 